This week, let's talk about how PR has changed in the digital world. How can you get great stories about your business into the media and protect yourself if something goes wrong? My guest is Jamie Brownlee, and this is episode 283 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This podcast is all about marketing your business and growing your business and for talking about all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a consultant, speaker and trainer from Edinburgh, helping you keep your marketing simple. Hello and welcome back to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Listen, thank you as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. Can you do me a quick favour? If you enjoy the Marketing and Finance podcast, I'd be really grateful if you'd share it with one of your colleagues or one of your friends. The Marketing and Finance podcast is free. I don't charge people to listen to the show, so I rely upon your support to spread the word. So it could be a review on iTunes, or it could just be a tweet, or it it could just be a quick email to a friend or colleague. I'd really appreciate it if you'd help me spread the word. I've been in marketing now for nearly 25 years, and throughout that period of time, whether I've been working in big corporate or small startup businesses or like now, as a marketing consultant, I've always had a massive appreciation for the power of PR. Back in my big corporate days, I really enjoyed hopping on a plane from Edinburgh to London, meeting journalists to launch a product, to talk about sales ideas, to talk about marketing ideas. It was always one of the most fulfilling parts of my job, whether I was a marketing assistant or when I climbed the ladder to marketing director. But 25 years is a hell of a long time and everything is different now in the digital world. And I haven't covered PR on the Marketing and Finance podcast for a while, so I'm absolutely delighted to be able to talk to Jamie Brownlee today about how PR has changed in the digital world. This is a fabulous interview, lots of insights, lots of ideas. So let's get straight into that interview with Jamie right here on the Marketing and Finance podcast. Jamie, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you very much. Lovely to be on. Jamie, where are we Zooming each other from? Now, I'm in Edinburgh, UK, as always. And I'm in London, northwest London. Northwest London. Now, I bet it's not blowing as big a gale as it's <laughs> blowing up here. So I do apologise if in the background you can hear the howling winds of Scotland. Jamie, you're a director of a company called Green Target. You're into PR, and I have to say... Throughout my entire career as a marketing person, whether it's been working in big corporate or more recently as a consultant, PR is something that I am a massive fan of. Always enjoy doing PR, always enjoy seeing PR as an important part of the marketing mix. So no doubt we'll talk a lot about PR today. But before we get into that, maybe give me a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, and basically what makes Jamie Brownlee tick? Probably like a lot of people in PR, didn't really know what it was, didn't mm -hmm. really know where it, where it sat in marketing. Um, but I was very interested in, in finance, and I was actually very much interested in the advertising side of, of, of marketing. But Thought, well, how can I put these two together? And um, I started at a firm called Citygate Jude Rogerson, 
uh, in 2009. Um, and I sort of just, I absolutely fell in love with it. I love the combination of of PR and finance. Um, I thought that it was something that at the time, 2008, 2009, obviously was highly topical. There were a lot of financial firms needing uh, to change their image and to uh, to uh, to protect their image uh, and, and ultimately to, to, to change full stop. So it was a really, really interesting time. Um, I very much focused in the corporate aspect of PR um, at uh, City Kitchen Rogerson. Uh, I, I mean, I was very much involved in financial services, but also did touch upon a number of other sectors, whether it be professional services, some consumer work, a few car companies. Um, so had a really good uh, I guess, start to my career in being exposed to a number of different sectors, a number of different ways of working, a number of different types of clients, um, and then moved to Green Target um, four and a half years ago, no, nearly four years ago, no, four, sorry, four, over four years ago now. Um, and Green Target is, um, is very much a specialist uh, financial services uh, PR firm. We're mainly known for our, our work in capital markets. However, in the in the last few years, we've certainly expanded to another area, other areas, whether it be wealth management, private equity, uh, a bit of venture capital, and uh, professional services. So, I, I guess what makes me tick and what I love about um, what I do is is I, I obviously love the day to day PR work. I, I you know I get a real buzz when I get a client a piece of coverage. Uh, that's almost my drug is 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 to get clients good quality coverage. Um, at the same time, when I protect a client or when I when I um, when I protect their brand from a potential threat, that again, you know, gets me gets me going. But one of the things I, I absolutely love is the new business front. I absolutely love um, the selling aspect of of our services and my services to a client, and particularly clients that maybe haven't done PR before, and um, you know, giving you know, showing them showing them the ropes for for three months and, and and giving us that trial period to show what we can do, and invariably they do continue with us. So. I absolutely love being part of a journey, um, you know, with a client where we can show what we do, and and ultimately, you know, by the end of the working with us, they are in a much better place from a, a brand profile, um, brand profiling position. Now, obviously, one of the, one of my mantras, Jamie, is that I always assume that my customers know nothing, uh, rather than expecting them to know what PR stands for and what marketing actually means. Now, over the years. I've done a lot of PR, um, either as just a, a pure PR person or when I was elevated to marketing director, it was part of my remit. So to me, PR's meant, always meant really two things. First of all, it's a way of getting your story, maybe your brand story, out into the media in publications, more recently, of course, on websites and other media. But the second strand of it is really to <laughs> to protect your good name if you screw up in some way and that bad story gets out into the media as opposed to a good story. What do you think of my definition of PR and, and do you have an alternative? No, I mean, that, that that's not not bad at all. I mean, it, it really is a case of PR is a case of, um, you know, enhancing a brand or, or in some cases, uh, you know, actually just building a brand. You know, maybe that a lot of firms have actually never dipped their toe uh, in the media world in any in any way. So, it's developing that brand and and, and you know in boosting that profile of the brand, and there are obviously a number of, of of positive reasons for doing that. Whether it be you know generally to get more visibility for for your firm, so that clients and prospective clients might look. But ultimately, one of the things we're finding more and more is it's very very good for your SEO, which is search engine optimization. So mm -hmm. when anyone types in a name or types in a uh, a service that they're looking for. 
you know, invariably you want to be the one at the top of those Google searches. You want your brand to be at the top of the, the Google searches. And the Google algorithms mean that ultimately you know, a, a brand that has not only a good website, but has good quality coverage talking about that brand will be higher up than, than a brand that doesn't. So, you know, it's, it's a really positive, all round positive thing for, for a firm to have, you know, good quality uh, media. And as you rightly say, uh, you're using the media as a platform, whether it be, and when I say media, I also do mean social media as well. So yeah. whether it be Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. So to actually promote your messaging. The, the secondary part is the protection element and making sure that, as you rightly say, if there is a negative story, if your brand is, in, if you're, you know, your firm is in trouble, if you've had poor performance, if you've had some issues, uh, personnel issues, whatever it may be, it's how do you manage that process so it doesn't get out of control now, you know, we're not miracle workers. So at times the, the, the story itself will land and we're very, you know, have to be, I think you have to as a PR person be very honest and open with your client and say, look, actually, this is a bad uh, story. This has got in the hands of the journalist. This will run. Now, how do we manage it from there? So there's an element of making sure that you don't let it get completely out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, as uh, that, that, That's certainly a, a big, a big element of what we do. Yeah. And in terms of, of, of creating relationships with journalists. Again, I remember going back to when I started, I was working with a firm called Pole Hill Communications. I'm pretty sure they may even still exist. And the first guy that I worked with was a lovely gentleman called Terry Heppelwhite. Now, Terry Heppelwhite was a big rock music fan, just like I was. So him and and me got on like a house on fire. But he told (laughs) me right at the start, three rules that he always used when he was dealing with journalists. The first one was always phone them back when you say you're going to do. Secondly, never turn down a placed article. And of course, nowadays, you would never turn down either a placed article or a placed video or a placed podcast or a placed blog or a placed whatever it might be. But in those Mm -hmm. days, it, it tended to be just a written article. And the third thing was give them a really interesting story rather than just a product push or a brand push. And and I've actually found that those three rules have, have stood me in pretty good stead for the last quarter of a century, to be honest. I, I think they are those are, are, are very, very pertinent still. I think those are those are really, really good rules. I think, you know, I think you 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 want with a journalist nowadays, you know, journalism this, these days is complete has completely changed mm. in in even the last 10, 20 years. Time has just completely caught up with, you know, obviously not just journalists, but but the world uh, to the to the extent where actually relationships have become so important. Um, but it's about actually developing the, the actual the process of developing those relationships is just so important. But you have to do it in a way that you're not going to tip it the other way and actually annoy a journalist. Mm. Mm. So you've got to find the right medium of engaging. So your three points are are absolutely spot on. Uh, you know, you're, you don't not want to call a journalist back because if you don't do that, then actually you'll, you'll never be able to build a relationship, particularly when they have so many more uh, pieces of content, so many more inquiries from people like me. So they actually do prioritize the ones they want. So you don't you don't want to start on the back foot by not calling back. If you get an offer of a place article, place piece of content, again, absolutely right. Take it because it's hard. They're very, very hard to come by. Um, and, you know, the amount of content that journalists are getting. I often hear from journalists how many emails they get a day, and it, you know, the numbers vary in the hundreds. But it, it's it's you know with some saying thousands. It, it is it is incredible the the amount of information that they are uh, you know they are faced with every day. So um, and you know, absolutely always have a good story. You know I think in the past perhaps you could have I could have gone to a journalist and said look I've got this very interesting um, spokesperson at a big firm. Do you want to meet them for a coffee? And that would probably do it because the firm. 
Nowadays, it just doesn't work like that. Journalists don't don't view that as particularly beneficial. It has to have an angle or an opportunity, and invariably has to have an exclusive tag mm. on it as well, which mm. which which you know makes it very very difficult uh, for some firms. So, yeah, the, the, the pressure to get it right and to get it right the first time is is certainly high. And of course, as you say, things have changed over the years. Um, I can remember breakfasts and morning coffees and lunches and afternoon in the pub and then evenings (laughs) out with journalists and then somehow managing to crawl back to hotels. And, and you know, in in fairness, it it did generate a lot of coverage. But of course, nowadays, like everything, we tend to talk more um, over video there's not as many meetings not as many boozy lunches if any boozy lunches in fact i can't remember the last time i ever did a a journalist lunch now and and part of the reason is because communications methods have changed but also i think the numbers of staff have reduced so they're having to fill more gaps so as you say there is an absolute torrent of press releases or statements or angles being put out there day in, day out. So how do you stand out and how do you get that interview with the journalist so that you can push your messages out there? I, I, I think it's a, it's a really good question. I think you know, the point you make also about the, the, the lack of lunches, the lack of opportunity to sit down and really get to know the journalist uh, have evaporated. And I think you know, there's many reasons, as you rightly say there, that one other or a few others I would also suggest is actually that you look at, for example, things like Twitter, you look at things like the advancement of, of you know, the, the, the modern BlackBerry, appreciate BlackBerrys as of very recently no longer exist, but, but it's a case of you are on your phone the whole time. Mm. So a journalist, the idea for a journalist to go out for, for an hour and sit and have lunch while things are going on in the background, it's pretty terrifying and not being able to get back to your desk. So, so actually, and, and I don't think actually working from home is working from home has in any way helped that. I think people have realized how important it is to be on the go or, or sorry, to have, have access to a computer and to be able to, to, you know, to get online very, very quickly without, you know, necessarily. So that, that, that is certainly had a, had an impact, but I think what you need to do now, and it goes back to my my previous point, which is making sure that you establish the relationship so that when a journalist sees an email or a phone number come up on their phone or computer, they recognize it and they might take it more seriously. Mm. But ultimately, the other thing as well, which I've found very interesting in the last few years, is, is it's almost a mirroring of, of, of uh, from the PR world of the media world. And what I mean by that is we are having to play journalists a little bit in the way that we're pitching to them. We're almost selling a story but to, to, to them in a way that like a newspaper would with a catchy headline, with a catchy yeah. phrase, with, um, you know, uh, something that is perhaps slightly pushing, pushing the boundaries in terms of trying to be sensational, trying to grab their attention. So, um, you know, it, that, that in itself is almost quite ironic that we're playing journalist to journalist because of, because of the cut through. And it's not, it's not the amount of newspapers. It's just, it's the amount of PRs and amount of stories out there. If you are looking to start doing some work in PR. And perhaps what I'm thinking is here, that quite a lot of the people that listen to the Marketing Finance Podcast obviously work in financial services. Some of those will work for big product providers, big corporates. And it's very likely that they'll have dedicated PR departments. They may even um, have a company like yours, Green Target, on retainer to help them with uh-huh. their PR work. But if you're a if you're an IFA firm and a financial advisor firm, you may think, you know, there's something in this. We've got some good stories to tell, but we haven't got the the budget for a PR department. Maybe we haven't even got the budget for a dedicated PR person. 
is it something they should look at or is it just is it just too much of an investment well i think i think absolutely they should look at it i think uh you know the pr is is people are constantly looking for information i think the world the way that the world has evolved and even in the last deck in a few decades people want information they want it on the go and they continually want to know what is happening um and i think if you are an ifa firm or or, or any financial services type you know types uh, type of firm you need to have the ability to communicate quickly to an audience mm. um and i think if you do that correctly then there are opportunities to keep your existing clients happy because they know that you're i think if you're if you're a client of an ifa you want to know that your ifa uh you know in, in most cases appreciate there are some cases where actually they the secretive element of 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 not you know not having a a, a huge uh, profile perhaps does work, but in the most part, people want to know that their IFA know what they're talking about. So, you know, to have some exposure via the media of, you know, a placed article, some content, some insight, um, you know, a video, whatever it may be, it just provides that added sort of layer of credibility to the IFA that you're working with. But the other thing I think, which is really, really important, and, and this is particularly the case for, for IFAs and the, and the more wider uh, wealth management industry, is that there's a whole new demographic and a whole new uh, there's whole new segments of society that are coming through that are getting richer and wealthier. Mm. And I think I think a lot of IFAs and wealth managers have probably been quite slow to react um, and haven't necessarily developed their systems, haven't necessarily developed the way that they communicate. Uh, and that could be internally the way they communicate to existing clients who are getting younger uh, because a lot of there's a lot of intergen- intergenerational wealth transfer. So a lot of children, a lot of young people coming through and a lot of women uh, coming through as well. So in that sense, I think the way that people communicate, where IFA is committed, there's a, there's a real opportunity. I don't think it's, it's necessarily something that people should, you know, could consider because it's something that they should do. I think it's actually a generally a, an opportunity to, 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 to get more clients um, and, and to keep your existing clients happy because you can communicate quickly to them. Yeah. And one of the things that I've always thought about, Jamie, as well, is that, let's face it, Financial services has a bad reputation, and and it has done for for decades. You know, we've had enough mis-selling scandals to last us a lifetime, and you know, each of segment of the industry has its woes from time to time. You know, I've worked in protection quite a lot. I, I appeared on television a few times back in the early two thousands to defend the company I was working on because it declined a claim, and that TV experience was just an absolute nightmare. But what it did revealed to me was that because the industry has this negative image and let's face it the newspapers the tv they still run stories about declined protection claims they still run stories about badly run funds they still run stories about mis-selling and high levels mm-hmm. of commission if, if they exist anywhere one of my real um reasons for wanting pr to work not only at big corporate level, but also at IFA level, is that the more positive stories that we can get out, the more positive stories we can get out about protection products, the more positive stories we can get out about how advisors help people save for their retirement or help them to Absolutely. invest safely, then you know, you're putting the positive stories out. And I know that, okay, journalists will naturally veer towards the negative stories because the negative tends to sell more newspapers, but yes. they will they will also publish positive stuff as well. And, you know, it's a bit like confirmation bias. If somebody believes that an insurance company is going to decline a claim, then they'll be able to go on Google and and search and find a story which effectively says, yeah, that's that's true. Look, 
so-and-so yes. company turned a claim down. But my belief is that the more positive stuff we get out there, the it'll it'll sort of eclipse, hopefully, eventually, the negative stuff. So that's why I've always said, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a big corporate or a two-man or a one-man or a one-woman financial advisor. If you've got a good story to tell, try and find a way of getting it out there into the media. Absolutely. And I think, I actually think, the, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think one of the things which perhaps over the years has made the likes of financial services perhaps uh, unpopular or difficult to manage from a, uh, a public relations perspective is, is, is accessibility. Mm. In previous times, I think financial services was seen as, uh, you know, very male, very white, yeah. um, uh, very middle class, and very, very much inaccessible to, to the majority of, of the world. So I think actually in the last few years, what we've seen in an emergence of younger investors coming through, whether it be, you know, the, the, this time last year, the GameStop um, uh, saga and, 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 and meme stocks and, and, and this, this, this almost this, uh, I guess, uh, the, the way that investing has become cool, it's become something that young people are really interested in. But also you look at um, female wealth is coming through and female entrepreneurship. Um, so suddenly financial services is appealing to more and more different types of people. Mm. And I think that's really, really important because the more people it appeals to, the more accessible it becomes, the more people want information. So not, not only are you giving, you are providing, you know, you are asking companies to provide more information to more and, and, and a, a, a different, a, a varying, varying uh, different types of people, mm. but also you're making it more and more interesting for journalists and journalists will want, good quality and, and positive news because that's what the readership wants. So um, I think that is a really, really positive, a really positive uh, thing for financial services is that it's more accessible now to more people. And I like the idea that you've just explained there about obviously it's more diverse now. And the fact it's more diverse means there are going to be a lot more different and interesting stories. And, and again, that just will amplify the positive messages that I alluded to before. Now, one of the things that I, I did want to talk to you about, Jamie, was, was again, you know, I, I sort of keep going back to, to my days in big corporate. But um, these days, as we said, journalists, there aren't as many of them. They're, they're manning a news desk, perhaps they're writing up copy, they're writing up articles. So they've got less time. And therefore, you've got to attract their attention with good stories and you you know their their attention span is probably very very short now i can remember sending out a press release and the press release would almost certainly create an opportunity to talk to the journalist to add some stories to the press release maybe get they might dig a little bit deeper on some of the angles and what they eventually published maybe would have some of the quotes from the press release in it but they would have probably added their own flavor to it as well Yes. Nowadays, of course, because there's less, there's fewer of them, and they haven't got as much time. They do tend to just take what's in the release and pretty much and pretty much uh, publish it as is. Now, I have joked on occasions that if you included a completely rogue sentence in the middle <laughs> of a press release, like uh, "PR is rubbish" or something like that, unless somebody checks it, it's likely that they'll cut, copy and paste it straight <laughs> in. Now, to me, that means that whilst in the past the press release effectively had to attract the journalist's attention to create an opportunity for you to speak to them. Today, that press release has got to do more. It's got to attract their attention and be good enough to create the story plus anything else that you want to surround it with. So today, the release is probably more important than it's ever been. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and you've, you've hit the nail on the head as well with, with the, the issues that you 
I mean, issues from a, I guess, from a, a looking at journalism more widely, from a PR perspective, I suppose, in some aspects, you could look at it as a positive and that you can control the narrative a lot more. And you don't get the, perhaps the, the inquiries and the requests you did in the past of journalists wanting more and more information. And, and that, that, as you say, that's, a, that's a simply a case of, frankly, not having the time to jump on a phone call and it's not having the necessarily the team in place. And, 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 and even more so in the last two years has been not having the newsroom in place and having to have a digital newsroom. So they can't necessarily, just, journalists can't necessarily discuss you know the 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 article, the sorry, the press release or the story, and 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 whether what part of it they should be covering and should they be covering it, you know, uh, even at all. So mm-hmm. that that's definitely true. And I think so, but but I I do think you do see you do still see a lot of the good national and 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 trade trade journalists who will who will ask or have questions on the press release. Um, invariably, it's it's written comments, it's written requests, which again, from a PR perspective, is great because we can control the narrative a little bit more. Um, so I think, I think, and that, that that I think sometimes can be from a from a, a client perspective. One of the fears that clients always have when they first starting with us is, look, I really don't want to speak to a journalist right now. I'm, I'm I just don't feel I'm in I'm I'm in the right shape. I don't really know how this is going to feel as as a, as a PR campaign. And actually, what we're saying is, well. You know, of course, I completely understand that is quite quite daunting. But there will be obviously training, but also for the first few few months, and if not going on, a lot of the inquiries that we get from journalists are written based. Mm. So actually, a lot of it, it and it, it does speed up the process. It does mean, from our perspective, we can control the narrative a little bit better. Uh, and journalists don't complain because actually they're getting they're actually often getting written comments quickly back. There's no you know issues with setting up a call and someone being late, et cetera. So it's, it, you know, the whole, the speed of it is probably actually being welcomed by journalism, journalism as well. But, and I think, you know, going back to your point about press release, I think, you know, this is a, a little bit of an American thing, but a, a lot a lot of uh, PR firms in the US will use PR news wires, um, yeah. which obviously do generate lots of coverage, but they don't necessarily provide the quality that, that a relationship with a journalist would, because again, it is a quite a copy and paste type thing. So we're, we're, I personally don't, don't ever use them. I don't, I, I much prefer relying on the contacts that we have and the quality of our media lists. Um, and, and, and knowing that, you know, the journalist will at least read through the press release and make up the questions may not, and may just write it up uh, to some extent as, as it is. Um, so you're absolutely right. Though. It's a very good point. There's a lot more control of the narrative for good or bad, um, you know, nowadays. So thinking again about the smaller firm wanting to start ramping up some PR activity, you've already mentioned training and companies like Green Target um, couldn't provide that training, but what would be your top few tips for just starting to do more PR activity? Yeah, well, I think the, the first thing I would I, we'd ever suggest for any type of PR work before you dip your toe in or even start a program uh, having done PR before is always do the preparatory um, the preparatory stage. So mm. that's a case of making sure that you have a Q and A in place, making sure that you have your uh, you know you have you've asked yourself some 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 really difficult questions within that. So it's the type of questions that you think that you could ask. It'd be 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 sort of happy or be. Um, you know, be prepared to open the bonnet on your firm and, you know, just think of anything that could come out, anything that could have a negative impact. And, and don't be afraid of asking yourselves questions where you don't know the answer, because invariably you as, as a team or with the help of an external PR provider, you can you will be able to get the answers and at least and it helps the firm start to think about the future as well. We find mm-hmm. a lot of PR activities that we do in that stage actually allow the, the firm to think about its its business objectives, its wider business objectives going forward. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a very worthwhile exercise. 
Um, but also, you know, making sure that you have all your, you know, you have your pictures in place and you have your, uh, you know, you have all your, your messaging right. So that when, you know, you feel very comfortable, you could actually bat back any questions or, you, you know, you feel comfortable with any questions about the firm. And also being that, you know, the other thing as well is you only really get one chance to start PR. Mm. So I always think, well, I always tell people, you know, if, you're, if your firm is, is facing difficult times, whether it be personnel issues, performance-based issues, um, any, any, you know, any, anything with, with certain products not working or at the moment, like a lot of firms who are facing all sorts of really difficult uh, challenges, um, you know, it may, may not, maybe that's not the right time. So I'd always suggest to a firm, try and start for the first time your, your PR pro, pro, program when you feel, in a, you know, you've got a good news story, whether it be you're recruiting, whether that be you've got some, re- you've had a really good year, you've got some milestones coming up, you've partnered with some great firms, uh, whatever it may be, it's really important to get that right. And then, I think one of the things I then say is it's really important to maximize what you already do. You don't, from a time efficiency perspective, anything that you're planning to do from marketing, make sure that you're utilizing that from an external perspective as well. Anything you're sending to clients, well, actually think about, could that be used for media? Wouldn't a journalist be interested in writing about this and getting us placed nicely so that we're showing what we know so that our clients can read that in in IFA trade publication or money pages or a wealth management publication? Um, I think, you know, that's really, really important. One of the things we talked about before we hit record today, Jamie, was newsjacking. I think you mentioned newsjacking. Now, I've always been quite interested, both from a PR point of view, but also from a marketing point of view, in the power of popular culture. And one of the stories I always tell is about Coronation Street. Now, I have to admit that I used to watch Coronation Street a long time ago. <laughs> I don't watch it anymore. Uh, but there was, a, there was a character in Coronation Street called Alf Roberts, and he died on New Year's Eve in one of the episodes of Coronation Street. Now, in the story of the, of the episode, he had a life insurance policy, and his wife, Audrey Roberts, she applied to get the claim paid after his death. This was obviously in the narrative of the story. And the company, the insurance company in the story said, ah, but you see, we don't know whether he died before midnight on New Year's Eve or whether he died just after midnight on New Year's Day. And guess what? The life insurance policy (laughs) end date was, was New Year's Eve. So in the narrative of the story, the insurance company didn't pay the claim. Now, I remember was, I was working for a protection company at the time, Scottish Provenant, and I went running into the uh, marketing manager's office the day after this and said, look, Coronation Street just ran this episode last night where this um, company will have declined a claim because it happened just after midnight or before midnight yeah. and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And he looked at me as if I was completely mad and he was like Roger just go away don't be silly and I'm sitting there thinking look 17 million people watched yeah, this yeah. episode last night 17 million people think that that's what insurance companies would do wouldn't it be a good idea for us to put out a press release to say we would have paid now I always use that as an example although maybe I'll have to find a new one because it's probably about 15 years nice. ago now but you know that's powerful. You know, there was recently the story of, I think it was Peloton um, appeared in um, Sex in the City and, and somebody yes. died on a Peloton bike. And, you know, I'm sure Pel- I, mean, I think Pe- Peloton's chair price dropped because of that. It was a fiction. Yeah. It was a fictional story, but Peloton, no, you, I'm sure that they would have wanted to re- respond to that. So to me, it's not only a, a question of looking out for the stories that are happening within your business, but it's also outside of your industry maybe even what's happening in pop culture you know if there's a if there's a film that comes out which 
absolutely paints the picture of the financial services industry as being rotten to the core, that's an opportunity for you to put your story out to counteract that. How, how far can we take that? I, 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 I couldn't agree more. I think that's that's precisely what we try and tell our clients um, and particularly the clients which maybe don't have the regulatory, not regulatory, sorry, but have don't have the the layers of approval processes mm-hmm, required mm-hmm. because invariably you will you will not get to the end. Yeah. Um, so you, you're probably looking at more, uh, perhaps the smaller, maybe more uh, nimble companies to do that, who, need, who frankly yeah. need to do that because they need to disrupt, uh, you know, an industry which they're involved with. Yeah. But no, I, I, that, that is absolutely right. And, you know, newsjacking for me is one of the big, it's, it's almost one of the, I almost call it the lifeblood of any of the accounts that we that we deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think if you can keep a newsjacking process in place where you are, Acting, and again, I go back to almost mirroring of the of the journalism or, or mirroring of the media world, where you are looking out for stories so every day. You're looking and you're scrolling across, and you're finding stories, any stories, and it will suddenly guarantee that you will find a story that actually you go brilliant. That's the type of thing that my client should be involved with. Mm-hmm. And we often have clients going, "Oh, I can't really see the link here." And lo and behold, because we know that a journalist are also looking at that story, you're getting quoted or you're getting picked up in a publication particularly lifestyle publications, for example, which have such strength. You know, if, you're, if you're appearing in a lifestyle publication, you're trying to sell an investment product. Well, I can guarantee you're going to be a, a, long, a long way ahead of any competitors if you're appearing in a lifestyle publication, particularly if you're targeting a, you know, a, maybe a high net worth 40 plus uh, you know, uh, demographic. So yeah. there are so many little ele- elements to it. So uh, high, news hijacking is absolutely critical, I think, to, to clients that want to elevate themselves. I think I appreciate that the bigger firms who maybe have that foothold in the market, that that, that that doesn't necessarily still hold weight because ultimately journalists will often go to them. Often if they say something on a market, regardless of what happens, it'll be picked up because of the size of their brand. But for the smaller firms who have to compete and have to maybe say something that just, you know, just makes a, a little bit of noise and shakes the shakes the tree a bit. I think that that is something that we fully endorse and, and we we operate a newsroom approach at Green Target. Um, and I, I fundamentally believe that's the way that PR should work. You have to talk about the market or so that the market talks about you. It's it's absolutely what I tell everyone in our firm. Uh, and we try and make sure everyone is comfortable with it because it's it, often and, and we know our clients love it because we're coming to them with ideas. We're suggesting things they should be commenting on rather than like some frankly, some PR firms will wait for the client to tell them what to write. Oh, this has been such a great conversation this afternoon, Jamie. And as you can tell, I do have a, a soft spot for PR, and we could probably carry on talking for a, <laughs> another half an hour at least. But as we as we draw the interview to the end, what would be the one big thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from the experience you've had in your career so far from a PR point of view and working with, with Green Target? I think one thing I would say to to marketing and finance um, people or professionals or work or working in around it is with PR, for example, don't be afraid. Don't think of PR as some uh, you know big beast that that almost gets out of control and it costs a lot of money. It really isn't like that at all. I think people want to hear what their their companies or want to hear what their service providers have to say. Mm. I think they they want to know what your take is on the market. They want to take, they want to know what you're thinking. And the more that you can do that in an effective way, and it doesn't have to be, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pieces of content. It can be a few articles. It can be a video. It can be engaging on LinkedIn. It could be engaging with journalists that you might know or might want to know on subjects. 
it just adds a little layer of credibility and it helps your SEO, as I mentioned before. And I, I just think it's it's don't be fearful of of engaging with the media because there are an awful lot of benefits out there if, if you can do it right. I think that's admirable advice. Fantastic. So, Jamie, thanks very much for coming on the show. What's the best way that people who are listening to the show could get in touch with you if they want to have a chat? Sure, absolutely. Very, very happy to have a chat. Um, you can either go through our website, which is www.greentarget.co.uk, or find me on LinkedIn, uh, Jamie Brownlee, and uh, I'd be very, very happy to, to speak to anybody. Great stuff. Jamie, thanks once again for coming on to the Marketing and Finance podcast. Let me wish you every success for the future. And now that we're coming out of the lockdown and maybe there'll be less Zoom calls and more traveling from Edinburgh to London again in the future, let's meet up for a coffee or a beer or a glass of wine at some point in the future. Sounds fantastic. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends and colleagues and consider leaving me a review on iTunes. Until the next episode, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business. Thank you.